How to design your own prosthesis and turn the project into a bonding experience. From civil wars, whistleblower tactics, schematic drafting, and the finer points of Sith adoption, the essential how-to guide for the engineering Jedi. By Jack Daw Cry. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 1. Life will come at you. Aboard the Star Dreadnought, the Executor, better known to her crew as the Lady, it was currently 659 hours Imperial Standard Time, and deep within her many twisting corridors, in a room a few levels above the main hangar, a young man named Luke Skywalker from the Lars family was turning himself over in his sleep one last time, muttering softly. Then, beep. Seven hundred hours, I.S.T. Time to begin the day shift. Blearily blinking open his eyes, Luke groaned as he attempted to track the irritating alarm back to its source. Beep. 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 Yeah, yeah, he grumbled sleepily as he rubbed the sleep sand from his eyes. I'm awake, I'm off. Searching his immediate surroundings with squinted eyes, he found his data pad cheerily blaring away on his nightstand. Hitting the mute button with an irritated jab at the screen, Luke yawned deeply as he stretched himself out. Rolling out of bed and pulling the sheets off with him, he heaved the whole load of laundry over to his closet, where he dumped it into the built-in clothes scrubber with a very misleading name. As far as Luke knew, the thing was programmed with over 5,000 different cleaning routines for everything from towels to bed sheets to even shoes, and set the whole thing to deep clean and dry. It'd be long finished by the time he came back from his shift. Pulling a fresh set of uniform overalls out of the closet, he made his way to the fresher. One sonic shower later, he was pulling a brush through his bird nest hair while he attempted to zip up the overalls. Stepping out of the fresher, looking much more presentable and awake, Luke gathered up his usual gear. Data pad, comlink, code cylinders, and his standard-issue knife that he stashed, sheath and all, in its usual place, his boot. Pulling his hand through his hair and double-checking whether or not he had everything one last time, he headed to the door and hit the control panel. Walking down the familiar hallways of the Engineering Corps officers' living quarters and offices, he was greeted by many familiar faces, as some of his officers who had joined him in the day shift began to make their way to the mess hall as well. Breakfast was first on the to-do list. Work could wait until after. Morning, sir. Gearbox managed to get out around a jaw-cracking yawn, his interlocking triple-gear tattoo standing out sharply on his neck. We continue and work on the ATI-6s today. Or do you have something else lined up? Nah, Luke responded. Stretching his arms far above his head, we're all cut up with the backlog from last week, so we should be clear to continue on schedule, unless something else shows up to ruin everyone's day, of course. It was true, too. Three days after returning from his week-long trip to Imperial Center and all that had happened, they were already fully back on schedule, a large part of which could likely be attributed to the fact that Erebus had kept the lady running as smooth as ever in his absence. Probably smoother, given that Luke could admit he had a tendency to shake things up whenever he got an idea. A notion that was only reinforced when Gearbox snorted. You mean like you finding another piece of tech that you just have to overhaul, sir? He asked, hand firmly ruffling Luke's hair as the clone was fond of doing. Luke squeaked and hastily ducked out from under the man's hand. <laughs> Gearbox, he scolded, trying to flatten his hair back down into something that looked a little less like a bedhead. His indignant squawk only earned him a bark of laughter from the clone, though. Really? He complained, giving the chortling man an annoyed look. This early in the morning, I just brushed it. Nah. 
Gearbox waved off irreverently. You can hardly see the difference, sir. And really, a crew cut would help with that, you know, he said, eyes twinkling with mirth. It is standard trooper regulation, after all. Luke rolled his eyes, finally succeeding in shoving the man off him. And like I've said a hundred times already, I'll follow the damn regs when they finally start making sense, he grumbled. Lay off with the haircut jabs. Gearbox shot him a crooked grin that crinkled the corners of his eyes. Say yes, sir, he agreed easily, the deferential tone sharply offset by the sheer mischief and glee in his grin. A deep voice cut him before he could make any comments on it, however. I see you're looking to get your sixth write-up of insubordination, Gearbox. They both turned to look at the source of the sound, and sure enough, a rather irritable-looking Erebus was making their way towards them. Gearbox scoffed at the accusation. Ah, lay off, Liven. It's all in good fun. And you know damn well it'd never stick. Erebus narrowed their eyes at the irreverent clone and crossed their arms. From me? Maybe not. But from Lars? They raised an eyebrow at the man. Are you sure you want to chance that one? Luke groaned under his breath as he stepped between the two bickering men. Knock it off, you two, he said, looking at both of them in turn. No one is getting written up for insubordination until we've had our breakfast, and I'm not about to stand around in this hallway waiting for you two to reach that conclusion yourself. Now then! He clapped his hand sharply and gestured towards the awaiting elevator station. To the elevators, both of you. It's too damn early for this without some kind of caffeine or sugar. Gearbox snapped off a sharp salute and grinned widely. Yes, sir. Now there's an order I can get behind. Luke turned his gaze to Erebus, who was looking distinctly peeved at somehow finding themselves agreeing with Gearbox. They pursed their lips and nodded sharply. Yes, sir. You're probably right on it being too early to deal with Gearbox uncaffeinated, in any case. Ignoring the indignant, Hey! from Gearbox, Luke smiled at the two men and repeated his gesture towards the elevators, catching several of his other officers observing the scene from the corner of his eye. That goes for you all, too, he called out to them, and he caught at least three of them hastily attempting to look busy. All of you to the mess hall. Show's over. The hallways rapidly emptied out after that, the rest of his corps' officers hurrying towards the elevator station. Shaking his head fondly, he headed up after Gearbox and Erebus, who had already resumed their bickering, even if it was now accompanied by a movement towards the general direction of the elevators. Brushing past them and leaving them to their argument, Luke headed towards the station. The troopers manning the station perked up as he approached, snapping off a salute each. Saluting back, he was happy to recognize Stitch and Rezan, who he promptly greeted by name. Good to see you too, sir, Stitch said as he nodded back. Where to this time? Rezan asked as she tapped on the screen. The mess hall or the officer's lounge? Luke raised an eyebrow. Is that really a question you need to ask? Good point, she admitted with a snicker. Mess hall it is. She quickly tapped in the destination, and the computer spat out a string of numbers with a cheery ding. Right, she said, scanning the numbers quickly. Fifth personnel lift on your left, sir. She straightened back up and snapped off another salute. Have a nice day, sir. You too, Rizan, he said with a nod, before a thought occurred to him. Oh, and if you two could do me a favor. Stitch and Rizan glanced at each other and nodded with a shrug. Sure, what do you need, sir? Gearbox and Erebus are at it again, he explained with a quick eye roll, an explanation that had the two troopers snickering softly. They'll probably still be at it when they get there. Probably. Stitch agreed with a tilt of his head. Luke grinned wide at the trooper. Exactly, so do me a favor and just send them down directly. They'll miss breakfast if they have to pause long enough to give you a destination. Stitch couldn't seem to help himself as he devolved into stifled shakes of laughter, while Rizan hardly seemed to be doing any better. We'll send them down in a timely manner, sir, she assured him, amusement thick in her voice. You can count on us. Knew I could, he agreed, beaming at the two troopers as he began to make his way to the designated elevator. Have a nice day, you two. You too, sir, they chorused after him. 
Walking past the heavy-duty elevators and into the one designated, now with a bit of a spring in his step, Luke couldn't help but smile as he went through his to-do list of the day. With the backlog of work worked through, Luke and his corps were once again busy with the usual hustle and bustle that came with the upkeep of the lady and the more extensive projects he'd put on their schedule. The ATR-6 assault shuttles were only one of the equipment classes that needed to be modified, with the AT-AT and AT-ST walkers being a close second. He also needed to get a good look at some of the scout vessels and bombers currently in dry dock, seeing as he'd learned the hard way to put anything that came out of the Sinar Fleet System's factories under immediate probation. Something which, surprisingly, many of the Death Squadron pilots agreed with, and those that hadn't had quickly shut their traps after they'd learned that Vader had okayed the dry docking of some of their precious ships for Luke to inspect. After that, it was merely a matter of getting around to doing them, and now that the backlog was cleared, he finally had the time. The interceptors were first on the list to be put under scrutiny. After that, he could get started on the rest. Humming happily as the elevator doors opened with a ding, Luke stepped out into the thrumming crowds of the elevator station just outside of the mess hall. One of the fifty mess halls aboard, it was designed to comfortably seat up to 48,000 people at once, and worked around the clock to feed the day and night shifts that circulated through it throughout the day and with more than a million people aboard, it was nearly always bustling with some sort of activity. Considering it was the assigned mess hall for Luke and his corps, a lot of that activity consisted of ravenous engineers looking either to bolt something down and get on with business, whatever that business may be, or to have a good time with the rest of their fellows. All in all, Luke found it a great, if somewhat loud and overwhelming, place to be. As the head engineer, he technically didn't even have to eat at the mess hall. If he wanted to, he could eat his meals in the officer's lounge, a far quieter and more luxurious affair reserved for the upper tiers of the brass, something to which Luke still sometimes had trouble believing he belonged to, where you could eat a meal in what he was told was a far more restaurant-like setting than the cantina everyone else ate in. And to be fair, Luke had sometimes eaten there when he just needed some peace and quiet, or when he had a couple of things to discuss with Captain Pieter General Veers, for example. But most of the time... He grinned as he saw some of the people in today's shift barrel past him, laughing and horsing around like children less than half their age as they filed into the massive dining complex, shouting their greetings as some of them recognized him. Most of the time he preferred to eat here, with his people, laughing and joking right alongside them. Slipping into one of the lines leading into the mess, Luke allowed the movement of the crowd to push him into the vaulted cavern that counted as a mess hall. A cacophony of sound echoed throughout the hall as crewmates milled about, looking for places to sit at one of the many large tables, balconies suspended around the massive supporting pillars, and bars as they balanced their trays of food, chatting with their friends. It was a sight that Luke could best describe as controlled chaos, something many of the officers despaired of whenever they deigned to enter, but that was nearly impossible to stop from happening due to the sheer scale of the place. Going with the flow of the crowd, he let it push him towards the back of the hall, with a massive kitchen constantly turned out food to keep all the crewmates and troopers fed. He just picked up a tray when he heard the sound of someone calling out his name cut through the din. Hey! Hey, that's Engineer Lars! Sir! Turning around to face the noise, he was immediately met with a group of troopers rushing up to greet him. Grinning faces of all manner of ages and origins looked down at him as they gathered around, some familiar, some new. Beaming back at them, he noted that there was more than one clone amongst them, and immediately he knew what to do. Cha-cha-cha! He greeted with a smile, tipping his head at them and receiving a chorus of greeting and mando on back, even from those who were not clones. Now then, what's all the fuss about? And can we discuss it while I get some food? He asked, eyeing the people casting their little group annoyed looks as they had to veer far out of the way to circle around to the kitchen. We're causing something of an obstruction. The troopers seemed to startle as they looked around them, and Luke bit back a laugh as they sheepishly filed into two lines next to him, allowing people to pass by once more. Sorry, sir. 
One of the troopers, a man with light hair and freckled skin, whom he recognized as Walt, muttered as he rubbed the back of his neck. I guess we got a little too excited. Luke laughed softly and shook his head. It's fine, it's fine. He waved off as he began to move into the kitchen's direction once more, the troopers moving along with him as they each grabbed a tray from the dispensary. But what's all the excitement about? Can't just be me, so what's the fuss? Well, another trooper, a clone with a standard crew cut and a large scar over the bridge of his nose, drawled, It's sort of about you, sir. Or rather, what you did. Luke blinked at the other man, trying to recall anything he might have done out of the ordinary these last few days and drawing a blank, so instead he chose to go with an issue he could address right away. I don't believe we've met yet, Mr. He trailed off meaningfully. The clone snorted and gave him a chiding look. It's Miss, actually, sir. The name's Rocco. I may look a little rough around the edges, he, she, said, as she gestured to her scar with a knowing grin. But I'm as much a woman as anyone. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Rocco, he said with a beaming smile, before letting it turn apologetic. And I'm sorry about mistaking you for a man. Bah, Rocco said as she waved a dismissive hand. It's hardly an insult to be mistaken for one of my brothers. Just don't do it again, sir. Well, that was easy enough. Of course, he agreed easily. Now, what was it you said about it not being me but what I did? Well, she said a smirk crossing her face. It's been trickling down the grapevine that you had something of a run-in with one admiral asshole. According to some of the pencil pushes, he's been seething about it non-stop for the last few days, and your two R.C. had a couple of things to say about it as well. Luke groaned as he plonked down his tray on the kitchen rails, pushing it along. Three days, three days is how long it had taken before that incident had leaked out far enough that he was now being accosted by a squad of troopers looking for details. Honestly, he'd almost forgotten about it, but now that he remembered, he knew that it had been too much to ask for it to stay on the down low. So it is true, yet another trooper with tawny skin and dark eyes, Orchie, asked as if he'd read Luke's thoughts. You really told the Admiral off? Luke shot the man a dark look as he placed a bowl of steaming porridge on his tray, alongside two packs of dried fruit and a tiny container of honey. First of all, I didn't tell the Admiral off, thank you very much. He challenged me, and I just responded as was appropriate. Second of all, I wished him a very nice day afterwards. So if he's still angry about it, that's his problem, he told a lot of them primly, channeling as much of Captain Piet's demeanor into those words as possible. The troopers laughed as they loaded up their own trays with food, and Luke thanked one of the cooks, Kieran, with a nod and a smile as he slipped Luke an extra muffin packet with a wink and a quick shushing gesture. After picking up a plate of spiced and roasted vegetables and sausage, heavy on the peppers, a few hot bread rolls on the side, and a flask of herbal tea to wash it all down with, Luke began to weave his way back through crowds, the squad of troopers hot on his heels with their own trays in hand, as they wheedled and controlled him for more details. Rolling his eyes in a manner that was definitely ruined by the smile on his face, Luke caved in and gave them the bare-bones rundown of his confrontation with Ozel, something that seemed to disappoint the troopers with how little there actually was to it. Setting down his tray at a still mostly empty table standing in the shadow of one of the massive balconies suspended overhead, he chuckled lightly as Walt turned two huge eyes on him. I told you guys, he said as he sat down and began spreading some of the veggies and sausage on one of his bread rolls. There isn't much to it. Ozzel nearly bowled me over, insulted me for a bit, and I told him that he was wrong about me. That's pretty much the whole thing. That's not how Engineer Livon tells it, Orgy protested. According to him, you almost made Ozzel piss himself when you decided to retaliate. Said he stumbled back, wide-eyed and everything. Yeah, well, Luke mumbled as he took a bite of his roll. Probably you have some like when people fight back. Rocco blinked at him and shook her head. I'm gonna have to repeat that, Sid. Luke swallowed the bite and gave her a look. I said, apparently he doesn't like it when people fight back. He sniffed indignantly, as if I was ever gonna just stand there and let him insult me. He took another bite of the roll, trying to avoid the significant looks the troopers were giving him. So you did fight back? Walt asked pointedly. 
Luke paused and taking another bite and sighed. Yes, fine, I did. It wasn't more than three words, though, and no, I didn't swear at the Admiral, he stated firmly. I just told him to watch me do it anyway, in response to him telling me that I'd never amount to anything. He finished that statement with a pointed bite, hoping they would get the message and at least let him have some of his breakfast in peace without having to talk about someone as unpleasant as the Admiral. Honestly, where that man got his attitude, Luke didn't even want to know. A message that Rocco thankfully seemed to hear loud and clear as she smoothly switched topic to something else. All right, all right, she said easily with a grin. I get you. But I doubt that's all you have to say, she wheedled. Come on, sir. You were dirt side for a whole week, and if the scuttlebutt's got it right, you got up to all sorts of things down there. Oh, great. He groaned around his mouth full of food, though he felt a small spark of amusement well up inside him. Swallowing it down, he gave Rocco a narrow look. You're not going to leave me be until I talk, are you? He asked, knowing the answer already. Nope, she said cheerfully, before giving him a calculating look. Of course, you could still order us to. Oh, no, they were not doing that. I'd rather you drop the subject out of respect for my breakfast and my empty stomach, he shot back, raising an eyebrow. Regardless of what you seem to think, Rocco, I'm not about to make petty orders over petty things. Then how about this, sir? She returned, unperturbed and with a satisfied air. You tell us a story, and we'll tell you one. Fair's fair, and that's where we all get our time to eat. Good enough for him? Deal, he agreed with a nod. Stuffing the last of his roll in his mouth, he dumped the two packets of dried fruit into the bowl of porridge and began spooning the honey from its little container into the bowl, too. Now then, he began as he swallowed his mouthful, stirring in the honey. What is it you want to know? The troopers quickly began making their requests for clarification on various rumors, eager to get the tale of the hunt from the Anuba itself instead of the herd's mouth, so to speak. Luke found himself recounting his talk with the Emperor and his own account of the various events he had a strong suspicion were being spread by his former security detail. Now, ah, well, nothing to do about that. The troopers hung on to his every word as he described the Emperor's sanctum, a place few had apparently ever seen, and gave them the watered-down version of his and the Emperor's conversation. Between describing the black marble hallways and turning down the Emperor's job offer, the troopers ate their own breakfasts, various sandwiches, eggs, sweet pastries, meats, and fruits decimated at rates only those who did hungry work could achieve. Taking the occasional spoonful of his own porridge, Luke finally worked his way through all the troopers' requested stories. And after that we called it a day, Luke said as he finished recounting the gala to the enraptured troopers. The next day we wrapped up, and before we knew it, we were back on our way to the lady. And that's really all that happened. Or, well... He amended as he recalled a few other things. All that I'm going to tell you lot. The rest is either private or classified. Ah, sir, Walt whined. But before he could say anything else, he was swiftly elbowed in the gut by Rocco, who was shooting the poor guy a death glare that Luke was certain would give even an enraged rancor pause. Suitably cowed, Walt shrunk back and mimed zipping his mouth shut. Satisfied, she nodded and turned her gaze back to Luke with a dazzling smile, like she hadn't just bullied a fellow trooper into submission with practiced ease. Luke could only look on with amusement at their antics when Walt breathed out a visible sigh of relief. Show, Rocco said, still smiling wide. I guess it's all turn to give you the 101 on what happened around here last week, huh? Matching her smile, he gave her a mock salute with a spoonful of porridge, but didn't say another word as he began eating the rest of his own breakfast. Message received, Rocco wasted no time in regaling him with the tale of how the 237th Company had apparently managed to accidentally blow up their own moonshine distillery something that Luke, as an officer, probably shouldn't know or be told about, but they all knew that the day he would rat them out was never, because of a blocked valve and the overzealous efforts of the shiny task with heating up the distillery. They had apparently unanimously been voted to be given the name Molotov. Stifling his laughter and his food, Luke silently wished the unfortunate trooper good luck with their new name, 
He doubted their comrades would ever let them forget where it had come from. The rest of breakfast passed quickly, with Rockham making a grand show of divulging the latest gossip and tidbits from the trooper barracks, occasionally aided by her fellows, while Luke made short work of his food, stuffing the last of his muffin in his mouth while Rocco finished telling him about the latest batch of shinies they'd picked up from the dirt-side barracks, Luke began collecting the trash on his tray for disposal. Orchie smiled as he handed Luke his own empty yogurt cup. Time to get going then, sir. Luke stuffed the empty cup with a couple of his wrappers as he nodded. Busy day ahead, he told the man. The ATR-6s are on the schedule today, and with a bit of luck, we'll have heat shields playing nice with the heat sinks before the night shift clocks in. After that, it'll be a cinch to reduce the heat signature, at least for a little while. So no more missile lock-ons, Walt asked hopefully as he handed Luke an empty plate. That's the goal, he agreed cheerfully, smiling as Walt's face lit up. But we won't know how close we are until we actually get testing, and even then there's no guarantee of success. Bah, Rocco waved off. You'll phone away, Sam. Whether it takes you a day or a year, you'll succeed. I know you will. That was an oddly confident statement. You sound rather sure of that. Given the fact that I just said there's a very real chance of failure, he noted mildly, raising an eyebrow when Rocco snorted it elegantly. Sir, she said, voice flat and tone indicating that the reason was obvious. You're a Garan. Not to mention that when you find a challenge, you tend to bite into it and not let go to it yields. She handed him an empty glass. And that's not even touching on how this hardly seems outside the scope of your abilities. And well, Luke knew that bit, but it was nice to have a vote of confidence nonetheless, even if he really wasn't sure how successful this attempt would be. But Rocco did have a point. It wasn't like he was going to give up, even if it did end in a failure. The stakes were too high to simply walk away. So instead of arguing or otherwise refuting Rocco's points, he simply smiled and dipped his head in gratitude. Then I'd better prove you right, he grinned lightly. After all, it wouldn't do to let down such confidence, now would it? She laughed brightly. That it wouldn't, sir. No off with you, she said, making a shooing motion. You can count on us to clean up the wrist. Shooting her a mock salute with an empty glass, he bid the other troopers a quick goodbye as he went to dispose of the accumulated trash and dirty dishware piled high on his tray. Ducking and weaving through the throngs of people, Luke knew he didn't catch it when he almost crashed into a very familiar bickering pair. I'm telling you, oh hey, sir. Gearbox said as an aside before turning back to a highly annoyed Erebus. Look, I'm telling you, I don't care if that's how the Empire does it. A can of grease and roll of tape got me through 90% of the whole damn war, and they'll get me through the next. And I keep telling you, Erebus interrupted as they jabbed a finger at Gearbox, that if you want something to last longer than lunchtime, you'll use your proper tools, which were given to you for a reason. Gearbox waved off the accusation with a rude sound. Reason schmeezing. Like the brass ever knows what it's talking about. Now, duct tape, duct tape never fails. Unless it has to be used near any kind of heat source like a spacecraft engine, Erebus contested hotly. Gearbox's eyes shot wide open as he bared his teeth. Heresy! It's good to see you two as well, Luke said loudly, drawing the attention of the two engineers back to himself. Only slightly sheepish, but mostly unrepentant as Luke raised an eyebrow at them. I take it I can count on the two of you to report for duty at a somewhat reasonable time, or should I just sign the both of you out as a precautionary? Sure, sure. Gearbox agreed irreverently. We'll be there. Don't get your knickers in a twist. Then he looked back to Erebus with a mutinous expression on his face. Now listen here. You wet behind the ears, not nose dick. You disrespect duct tape to my face again. Tuning out the rest of the conversation, Luke ducked around the two engineers as they resumed their bickering on whether or not duct tape was an appropriate deity of worship and left the two of them to their argument. At least they'd made it down to the mess hall in one piece. He'd have to thank Rissan and Stitch the next time he saw them dumping off the trash into the appropriate receptacles and setting his tray onto the conveyor belt for the dishwasher, 
Luke followed the throngs of people streaming out of the mess hall, greeting people here and there as he made his way out of the giant chamber that never seemed to be absent of the thrum of life. He supposed the saying was true then. An army really did march on its stomach. Shaking his head as he grinned at the thought, then wove his way through the jam-packed hallways to the nearest elevator station, which was utterly swarmed with people from both shifts switching out, thank the desert for officer priority lines during rush hour. Squeezing carefully past these several dozens of crewmates and troopers waiting their turn to give their destination to those on elevator detail, he headed for the much smaller line of the officer's desk. With the five or so officers before him quickly cycled through, he bid a short hello to Shard and Lily before asking them to send him down to the main hangar, mindful of the line that had already started forming behind him. Directed towards the 27th personnel elevator on the right, he shot both troopers a bright smile and a quick thank you before getting out of the line to let them deal with the next officer. The elevator station, much like the rail station above it, was a constant bustle of activity, but never more so than during rush hour. Half the ladies' crews seemed to migrate from one end to the other every time it happened, and Luke was forever grateful that his standard commute only needed to take him through the elevator station instead of the rail station, at least the morning part anyway. Stepping into the elevator and pressing the button to let the system know its passenger had arrived, Luke once again sorted through his to-do list as the doors in front of him slid shut. In order to make the ATR-6s more stealth-capable, they had to be able to sufficiently disappear out of the sights of an infrared targeting computer, and in order to do that, something would have to be done about the ship's heat signatures. The heat shielding for the ATR-6s was the first step in that process, shielding that would allow for the pilot to temporarily direct all heat inwards into newly installed heat sinks. Temporarily being the key word in that sentence, but as short-range troop transports, it might be all they would need. He tapped his arm as he considered the plans he'd made for the process. The prototype shields would have to be installed today for their first test, so we'd have to start work on the first prototype of the heat muffler, for lack of a better word, as early as he could. A prototype exhaust cover that would be able to temporarily slot into place to dramatically reduce the ship's exhaust plume. If he could pull it off... There would hardly be a computer that he knew of that would be able to target the ships, and the troopers they carried could hardly ask for a safer place to be aside from the lady herself. If he was successful, it would save many lives. If. He breathed in deeply as the elevator came to a halt, and dinged brightly to let him know he had arrived. Walking out, he resolved to put those doubts aside. He'd hardly even started on the project, and he had the whole of the engineering corps to back him up. He could do this. And if he couldn't, he could likely still come very damn close and work from there. The main hangar of the lady was already alive and echoing with the sounds of various whirling and shrieking machines, cutting, welding, and grinding the durasteel needed for all manner of things. His corps' engineers milling about, carting materials between storage and ship, hanging from the sides of massive hulls as friction stir-welders cast them in a molten glow, and generally going about their tasks in a manner that had Luke swell with fondness and pride as he looked at them. These were his people, and by the desert and all her moons he couldn't have been prouder of the fact that they let him lead even if he tried even if he did still fuck up now and then. Humming softly to himself at the memory of the latest of such instances, Luke walked along the sides of the cavernous space and headed for his workshop. He had work to do, and lots of it. Coming to a stop before the heavy double blast doors that marked the entrance to his workshop, he fished out his code cylinder and inserted it into the control panel with practiced ease. With a hum and a sigh of pneumatic mechanisms, the doors slid open, and stepping into the workshop, Luke watched as the surrounding machinery woke up out of sleep mode. Half-finished schematics flickered into view on their hollow displays, slowly rotating in a manner that easily allowed Luke to see where the most drastic work was still needed, while their unfinished prototype counterparts lay strewn about the various workbenches. Bypassing all of them, Luke headed for the schematics still displayed in the hollow projector linked to the drafting station. The heat muffler. He really needed to come up with a better name. 
spun slowly while illuminated in bright electric blue. Functionally, the schematic was finished, at least until he made an actual prototype out of it and the glaring flaws inevitably revealed themselves. Knowing there wasn't much he could do about it, Luke sighed and opened up the files for the muffler, preparing them to be transferred over to the 3D printer. He arranged the separate pieces into a printing mold, and after running everything through manufacturing analysis one last time to check for any structural flaws, Luke sent the whole business over to the 3D printing room. Shoving off in the drafting station, Luke couldn't help walking with a little spring in his step as he made his way over to the small open elevator that would take him to his printing room on the second level of his workshop. Stepping into the printing room, Luke slipped on his protective gear, fitting his respirator over his face as he adjusted his gloves. Stretching languidly, he ambled over to the printer and pulled out the monitor to check the Durasteel powder supply. Tapping through the various menus, Luke opened up the printing files he'd sent over and checked them against the system data. After verifying everything and selecting the proper settings, he reached for the power switch and... hesitated. Something was off. Furrowing his brow, Luke tried to pinpoint the uneasy feeling that was gnawing at the back of his mind, something that set the hairs of his neck on end. It grated and ground up against that part of him that spilled over into something else, like storms eroding the mighty stone cliffs of Kashmir Ridge. Something was very, very off. Pulling his hand away from the power switch, Luke decided to heed the uneasy feeling and run a system diagnostic before he did anything else, just to be safe. Swigging the monitor back out, he pulled up the settings menu again and ordered the printer to run an internal scan for problems. Tapping his fingers against the monitor frame as the progress bar slowly crept across the screen, he turned the odd feeling over in his head again and again, trying to make sense of it, but like sand, it slipped through his fingers every time he grasped for it. Blowing out a frustrated breath, Luke made an annoyed sound as the diagnostic finished up and displayed the all-clear on screen. Whatever it was, it didn't have anything to do with the internal workings of the machine. So why did he have the gut feeling he usually had just before a flight went bad or a sandstorm hit? It didn't make any sense. Shaking his head and making another agitated sound as the old feeling kept evading closer scrutiny, Luke closed out the menu and flipped on the power switch. The power began to run through its warm-up sequence, and watching the array calibrate, Luke fidgeted with his sleeves as the feeling of unease grew stronger and stronger. The recoder assembly had just finished distributing the first layer of powder when something loudly hissed inside the printer box, the shifting sands raising into a howling wind that shrieked in warning, his whole head pounding with something that screamed and shrieked of danger, danger, now, now, now. Reacting on pure instinct, Luke reached out for the emergency kill switch, needing everything to stop right now. Too late. Something flashed out of the corner of his eye, laser bright, his mind registering a loud, concussive noise as agony seared through the right side of his body. Everything was fire and screaming and pain and agony and pain as the world flashed bright behind his eyelids, bright enough to hurt, even as the world was nothing but fire and suns make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. It was a blessing when the darkness came up to swallow him whole. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jack Donkadai, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.